Good morning. Please be seated. I had a chance to say hello to a number of you before church this morning, but in case I missed you, my name is Bill Parnell, and it is my joy to serve as the canon to the ordinary for the Diocese of Massachusetts. That title, Canon to the Ordinary, may be one that's unfamiliar to you. It's one of those quaint Anglican titles that you have to kind of know the lingo to figure out what it means. The ordinary is the bishop, the one who ordains. And I think we have a rather extraordinary ordinary in Alan Gates, our bishop, and in our bishop suffragan, Gail Harris. And so the Canon to the Ordinary is one who works closely alongside the bishop of the diocese to help us see that our common life is organized in a way that helps congregations to flourish. And that's why we're there as the bishops and staff of this diocese, is to help you all here in Trinity Concord and also in the other 180 or so worshiping communities of this diocese to flourish in your own context and to thrive in your own community. So it's a joy to be with you here this morning at Trinity. That gospel reading that we hear today strikes at a feeling that I think is probably universal to us as human beings, that sense that happens whenever crisis or chaos arises where we think, where's God? And we can't find God. And we find ourselves saying, Lord, don't you care about what's happening to me? Don't you care about what's happening to us? It might be an occasion where something very personal is going on. Maybe it's that unexpected diagnosis that leaves us reeling. Maybe it's that job search that just keeps going on and on. Maybe it's a relationship that is difficult or even broken. Maybe it's even the armor of our own fears and failings that weighs us down so that we can barely walk. And in that proverbial dark night of the soul, we cry out, Lord, where are you? Don't you care about me? Or maybe it's something that's larger than any one of us, one of those societal or global ills that, frankly, if you're like me, sometimes it wakes you up at night. And I think about the rise of nationalism in this world. I think about ethnic hostility that goes on rather than all of us seeking the common good for one another. I think about communities around this country and around the world where the economy has left them behind. 
and despair has taken hold. I think about those who are escaping war and violence, those who are refugees and those who are trapped because of the war, the discord, the violence that surrounds them. I think about it on the streets of our cities. I think about it on our borders. I think about those quiet scourges that exist in all kinds of communities, quiet scourges of addiction or depression that are there very quietly until suddenly they burst into sight and startle us all. And I think about that chaos that surrounds us, that sends us reeling and rocking, and sometimes I think, God, where are you? Lord, don't you even care? Do you ever feel that way? I think even those of us who, let's face it, we're all sitting here in church this morning. We came here seeking God because we know God is there. We know God is there because in our times of joy, in our times of peace, I suspect you, like me, have sensed that presence of God. And yet... Even the most faithful among us will find those times of darkness happening in our lives where we ask, Lord, where are you? Don't you care? Sometimes the image is just that God's asleep on the job back on that cushion at the back of the boat, not caring about the storm that's raging around us or within us. Sometimes the image is that God is just too remote to know what's going on in my life or our life. Or maybe at its worst, at its worst, The only image we can conjure up is of a God who is walking away from us with graffiti on his back that says, I really don't care. Do you? Lord, where are you? You see, all of us carry both those joys and those terrors within us. St. Macarius said in one of his homilies, the heart is but a small vessel, and yet dragons and lions are there, and there poisonous creatures and all the treasures of wickedness. Rough, uneven places are there, and gaping chasms. 
There likewise is God. There are the angels. Their life and the kingdom, their light and the apostles, the heavenly cities and the treasures of grace. All things are there in that small vessel of our hearts. And in that sense, all of us are in the same boat, aren't we? But what of those times when God can't be found? What about the times when we find ourselves asking, Lord, don't you care? One of my favorite writers and poets and indeed theologians is the late North Carolinian Reynolds Price. Years ago, in April of 1997 to be exact, Reynolds Price received two letters on the same day. One of them was an invitation from the faculty of Auburn Theological Seminary in New York to give the Rudin Lecture in the fall of that year. Reynolds Price, in case you don't know about him, had battled a very serious cancer of the spine which left him wheelchair-bound for the last third of his life. And at that point, having recovered from that cancer but still in a wheelchair, he thought, I don't need to be going off to New York to give a lecture. But he also received on that same day a very troubling letter. A letter from a young man named Jen Fox, a medical student in his 30s, who wrote to Reynolds Price about the life-threatening cancer with which he had been diagnosed. And he wrote and he said, I want to believe in a God who cares because I may, may meet him sooner than I expected. I think I'm at the point where I can accept the existence of God, but I can't yet believe God cares about me. Lord, don't you care? God, where are you? And it was those two letters, that plea and that invitation that led Reynolds Price to accept that invitation to give that lecture in the fall of 1997, a lecture at which I was privileged to be present, in fact. And at that lecture was the first draft of his letter to that young man, Jim, which a couple of years later, after a few more drafts, became Letter to a Man in the Fire. He thought long and hard about what he could say to this person who felt so abandoned by God. And if you go and you read that book, 
you'll read any number of different ways that he tries to respond to Jim. But one of the stories that he tells is of an 87-year-old woman who wrote to him who herself was facing a long series of tests that were leading up to a very serious surgery that she was going to have. And she wrote to Reynolds Price about her vision. Her vision was this. She wrote, I went out along the Galilee hills and came to a crowd gathered around a man. And I stood on the outskirts intending to listen. But he looked over the crowd at me and then said, what do you want? And I said, could you send someone to come with me and help me stand up after the test? Because... I can't manage it alone. And in her vision, Jesus thought for a moment, and then he said, How would it be if I came? How would it be if Jesus came with us? That, my friends, is at the heart of the faith that we carry. That God in Jesus has come into our human condition. All of its joys, all of its challenges, all of its triumphs, and all of its defeats. How would it be if Jesus came? Because he did, you know. He did come. And it matters that he came. It matters that he was born a child in poverty. It matters that he and his parents had to escape as refugees into Egypt to escape a cruel government. It matters that he healed and he welcomed those who others would have given up on or kept on the margins. It matters that he forgave when others would have condemned. It matters that he lived faithfully right up until his death so that rather than letting us all fend for ourselves that he would bear even our worst sins. It matters that he died for us. It matters that God raised him so that we would know that nothing, nothing whatsoever can separate us from the love of God. How would it be if Jesus came? How would it be if Jesus came to you, to me, to us? The French philosopher and mystic Simone Weil lived a short 
and painful life. She fought in the Spanish Civil War and then she was part of the resistance for the French in World War II. And in the midst of that, she suffered from one health crisis to another, which caused her tremendous pain. But along that way, that painful way, both within and in the society around her, she came to embrace the faith of Jesus. And one of the things she used to do whenever she was in a moment of crisis was to meditate on the love of God. One of her favorite ways of doing that was one of the poems of George Herbert, the English priest and poet who wrote about God's love. And in her book, Waiting for God, she recalls a time when she was stricken with a vicious headache and how she began to pray that poem about God's love. And in that moment, she had a mystical experience. She writes, it was during one of these recitations that Christ himself came down and took possession of me. I had never foreseen the possibility of a real contact, person to person, here below, between a human being and God. Moreover, in this sudden possession of me by Christ, neither my senses nor my imagination had any part. I only felt in the midst of my suffering the presence of a love. How would it be if Jesus came? I'll tell you something. I have never been much of a mystic. It's just not in me. Rare have been those times of a sense of the ecstatic presence of God. I don't know that I've ever felt possessed by the holy in the way that Simone Bay did. But I'll tell you what I do know over and over and over again is the presence of God, the presence of the Holy, mediated by others to me. And I hope and pray once in a while by me to others. It is in that human-to-human contact, that response one to another, both in joy and in trouble, that I have come to experience the holy over and over and over again. And I believe that at its heart, that is what the faith of Jesus is about. Reminding one another that God does care and care without measure because God loves us beyond measure. Sometimes I think we just want God to give us a few stones that we can hurl to take care of all those enemies. Bring out your slingshots, folks. But in fact, God gives us other weapons to show that love to one another. Paul wrote about it 
in the reading that we heard today from his second letter to the Corinthians. Here are the weapons. Purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and knowing the power of God behind that. Those, Paul says, are the weapons of righteousness that we bear. Those are the gifts that we can carry to one another. And those are the gifts that we can receive ourselves. What does that look like in your life? What does that look like in the common life of Trinity Church in Concord? What is God calling you to do and say when you hear someone say, Lord, don't you even care? God, I just can't find you right now. Week after week, we come here seeking and knowing the presence of God because we know God cares. We know that God is the embodiment of love. We come here to be nourished by God's word and fed by the body and blood of Jesus. And then we're called to go out and express that love and care that deep down we know and remind one another that we all should care.